Today I'm reading from the letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote from prison. I'm reading from chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have had more confidence through the Lord to speak the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. Some certainly preach Christ with jealous and competitive motives, but others preach with good motives. They are motivated by love because they know that I'm put here to give a defense of the gospel. The others preach Christ because of their selfish ambition. They are insincere, hoping to cause me more pain while I'm in prison. What do I think about this? Just this. Since Christ is proclaimed in every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I'm glad, and I'll continue to be glad. I'm glad because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now as always, whether I live or die. Because for me, living serves Christ and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work. But I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with all of you to help your progress and the joy of your faith and to increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning we are continuing in our Lenten sermon series, Because of This I Rejoice, based on a book by Max Vincent. I hope if you haven't already that you will get a copy and read along with us. Today we're going to be diving into the second chapter of the book, which is all about joyful witness. But before we do, I want to remind us of a few things about this study and the letter of Paul that it is based on, Philippians. The first thing is that Paul writes the letter to the community in Philippi from a prison cell. Not only is he sitting in prison, which Paul has done before, Paul is sitting imprisoned for spreading the gospel and most likely is facing a death sentence. The circumstances that we find Paul in seem anything but joyful. And yet in this letter, more than any other letter that Paul writes, Paul uses the word joy. Now, I also want to remind us that this is not because Paul is the kind of person who doesn't like to talk about his suffering. We find in other letters that Paul tells the disciples that are gathering in these communities that he suffers for the gospel. In one letter, he talks about a thorn in his side. Paul is not the kind of person that doesn't talk about hardship. But here in the book of Philippians, we see that Paul is taking a different angle. Paul is trying to encourage the Philippians that no matter where they find themselves, if they practice things which bring them closer to God, they can still find joy. 
And so today we are going to dive into this scripture, which comes from the first chapter, verses 12 through 26, that call our attention to how our witness can bring joy for us and for other people. Now, before we get too much on this topic, I want to acknowledge that the word witness can cause us to break out into a cold sweat. I mean, if I ask you right now to step up and give your witness to this community of faith, you might have a pit in your stomach or a huge sense of apprehension. To talk about our faith lives brings a lot of emotions, not only because it's deeply personal, but because sometimes we feel inadequate to share our own story. And yet I hope that today, as we look not only at what Max has offered as a reflection on this section, but also our own lives and the words of Paul, we will see that the practice of witness can be simpler than we sometimes think and can be a consistent source of joy in our lives. I want us to also acknowledge that the word witness is one of many words that we use to talk about how we share the gospel message, how we talk about the good news that we find in our faith. Sometimes we say this is witnessing, witnessing to what God has done in our lives. Sometimes we say it's our testimony, which means that it is us testifying to where we have seen God in and through our lives. And sometimes we talk about this with the word evangelism or evangelistic ministries. Evangelism in Greek literally means good news. It's all about how we share the good news of the gospel with other people. I appreciated in this week's reading that Max starts off pretty early in the chapter by acknowledging his own struggle with witness. He tells the story of being a third grade student on the school bus when his friend John turns to him and says, what's your witness? I sensed in the reading that Max was caught a little flat footed as we all would be. And he stumbled around what to say his witness was. Did he have enough life experience to even share where God was at work? And he said he finally fumbled around to something along the lines of Jesus loves and cares for me even though he knows sometimes I do bad things. His friend John responded to his witness with affirmation that that was something worth witnessing to. I love this story because when I read it, I am reminded how so often I make this word witness and all the associated words so much bigger than they need to be. I feel like when someone asks about my witness or my testimony, I have to give them the right one, or it has to be incredibly inspiring, or somehow in the story that I tell, I have to do something heroic for faith. But the truth is that when we give our witness, we're not talking about ourselves at all. I know that sounds strange, but our witness serves the purpose of pointing to God, through our lives. So when we give our testimony and our witness, we're not the heroes of the story. God is. And that, I think, is what I love about this story from Max's early life that he shares. 
He fumbles around having the right words because he doesn't know if he can be a hero big enough to give a witness. But then he realizes that simply saying what he knows to be true of his relationship with Jesus is enough. And that by sharing that, by witnessing to that, he is pointing to God. I had a professor in seminary named Dr. Thomas Tangaraj. He was a professor and pastor who taught from his own experience as a Christian raised in South India. And he talked a lot about his own experience with evangelism, about how he was taught to share the gospel message with other people. He talks about being a young man and going through small villages in South India, and he would go to the houses of Hindu families, and he would ask to plug in his speaker, and he would stand on the corner with his microphone, and he would proclaim his witness and testimony in hopes of converting the people around him. But maybe what I remember even more than that story was what he brought to us in class that resonated with my own experience and my own life. While I think of testimony as standing on a street corner with a speaker and a microphone, I don't find myself often inclined to want to do that. But Dr. Tangrash told us that really our witness is making a recommendation of our faith to other people. It's telling people where our faith and our faith community have been formative to us. And he reminded us, those students sitting there in that class, that we do this all the time. Maybe not about our faith, but we witness to things we love all the time. We witness to our favorite restaurant and we recommend it to people. We witness to the most comfortable pair of shoes we've ever worn. We witness to our favorite books. And we tell people, you just have to get a copy of this and read it. It will change your life. He said, what if we thought about witnessing to our faith in the same way? Instead of thinking about this grand gesture, what if we think about it as daily opportunities to recommend something that has been beneficial to us? You know, I was thinking about that this week as I was writing this sermon and I happened to be eating my favorite box of Girl Scout cookies. And it occurred to me that Girl Scout cookies is the perfect example of how we practice our skills of witnessing. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We love this time of year to tell people what our favorite cookie is. Mine is Samoa, sometimes Thin Mints, but I really won't turn down any Girl Scout cookies. We love to tell people where you can find them, what troop is selling them. Our children, we put them on social media, we bring flyers to our office, and we say, come and buy cookies. This supports the leadership development of young women and girls. And People accept that recommendation. In fact, people love that recommendation. I have friends who this time of year are always looking to find a Girl Scout cookie supplier. And all this might sound funny, it's just one example of how we already have this skill set to witness if we just employ that same skill set in a different way. But I mean, it's not that simple, really, is it? I mean, you can go into your office and tell them that your child is selling Girl Scout cookies, but is it really as acceptable to walk up to your coworker and tell them about Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? 
Perhaps one of the reasons we struggle with making a recommendation about our faith is that it just carries different baggage than something like, say, Girl Scout cookies. Even though they both bring us great joy, it's a little bit more difficult to talk about our faith. And I think there are two reasons for that. One is that there are just associations with giving our testimony or witnessing or evangelism. There's a lot of baggage around these terms. And when we come to someone and try to share about our faith, we're not just sharing about our life or pointing to God. We're bringing to the table any experience or baggage that person has had around evangelism. I mean, just think about the acrobatics we do about the word itself. Evangelism, which is just a word derived from the Greek that means good news. But add on to that word all of the layers of experience and association, and suddenly we find ourselves having to explain ourselves or avoiding that word all together. When we say evangelism, we think of things like televangelist, and suddenly we see in our minds the bakers <laughs> or others on television, and we think about all that has come along, both good and bad, with that ministry. Or we hear the word evangelical, and we start to think about a certain theology or a certain way of understanding faith and politics. And, and suddenly we're not just talking about the good news, we're talking about something altogether different. And we might even find ourselves doing acrobatics like instead of saying evangelical, we'll tell people we're evangelical. Evangelical aligning to a certain set of beliefs. And somehow when we pronounce that vowel sound a little bit different, we're distancing ourselves from whatever we think about that word. You know, even outside of the dances that we do with linguistics, it may be that sharing our faith, as Max says in the book, becomes an experience of sharing bad news instead of good news. Maybe we've had experiences ourselves where someone has witnessed to us and it hasn't reminded us of the joy that we find in God. It's just reminded us that we're sinful, awful people. And so when we talk about our witness, all of that comes rushing back to us. I know I've had an experience like that where I came across someone who wanted to share their witness with me. I was already a pastor at the time and I found myself in the parking garage at Emory Midtown Hospital. I had just come back from praying with a church member who was having some pretty involved back surgery. And I was on my way to my next appointment. As I pulled up to the parking attendant at the booth to check out. Now it's important here to tell you something about pastors and parking in hospitals. Hospitals, thank goodness, realize that having visits from people within our faith communities can help us in our healing and can be supportive. And so at hospitals, often they will compensate the parking fee for clergy people. Sometimes you do this by going to the chaplain's office, but in an older day, you could simply do it by handing them your parking ticket and your business card, and they would let you exit for free. And so on this particular day, that is exactly what I did. 
I pulled up to the window, I handed him my business card and my parking ticket, and I waited for the gate to open. Except the gate didn't open, and so I looked at him, wondering if I had done something wrong, or maybe there was another process I should have followed, and I could see him studying my business card, and he said, you're a pastor. I am, <laughs> like it says on the card. And he said, but you're a woman. And I said, I am, <laughs> like you can see. And then he went on to tell me that in his faith tradition, that was not acceptable. Now, I should tell you that that's not the first time I've encountered this in my ministry. There are lots of different ways of thinking about women in ministry, and I understand that different faith traditions approach this in a different way. And I'm not even opposed to having a conversation with someone where we discuss how we arrived at these points. I'm not opposed to talking about what makes us the same and what makes us different as we approach our faith, but... On this particular day, in this particular moment, that was not the conversation the parking lot attendant was interested in having. Instead, at that moment when I confirmed for him that I in fact was a female pastor, he began to tell me all of the reasons in scripture that that was wrong and bad. And he was telling me in a way that he wanted me to understand that I was wrong and bad. Funny enough, he pointed a lot to the Apostle Paul, to his writings about women speaking in church, but also to his writings about uh, women being descended from Adam and how we should be subservient then to men, even in the church. I can tell you in that experience, I was not converted to seeing the world as he saw the world. In fact, because he led This witnessing to me with all of the bad news and reasons I was wrong, I was shut down to everything he was saying. The only thing that I wanted in that moment was to get out of that parking garage. And there were a few seconds where I pondered just driving through the gate because I was done. I was over it. You see, I found in my own life that when people witness to how faith leads them to persecute another person, to think less of another person. I'm I'm seldom motivated. I'm seldom encouraged. But when people use their witness of faith to talk about how faith has allowed them to persevere, those, those are the times when I find myself seeing God more clearly in their story and in our world. I guess what I'm saying is that when we think about our own witness, we need to be careful to understand that a witness that persecutes is never going to go as far as a witness that proves the way faith helps us persevere. As Max points out in the book, we have to lead with the good news of the gospel, not the bad news of the gospel. When the Philippians got this letter from Paul, they knew he was in prison. In fact, when they looked at this letter, they fully expected Paul to go into detail about all of his suffering. And yet what they found in this letter was joy. And they were encouraged. And they were inspired because they could see in Paul's testimony, God, and how 
God can help us endure hard things. And they were inspired to go out and tell that good news to other people. And here to me is what might be most surprising about this letter and about using this letter to talk about witness. You might remember that Paul has one of the most powerful stories of conversion in scripture. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He was a devout Jew who would go and drag people to prison because of the work they were doing to talk about Jesus Christ. And there on the Damascus road, Paul meets Christ. He is blinded. He repents of his ways. He accepts Jesus Christ and all that means. And he goes out to spread the gospel message. When I think about testimonies, I think about Paul. (laughs) When I worry about whether I have enough to say, I think about Paul. I don't have a story of meeting Jesus on the road. (laughs) And yet, when Paul wants to teach the community at Philippi about how to witness, he doesn't bring up this story that would be completely appropriate. He doesn't pull out this amazing conversion and say, see, this is how I know God is real. He says that everything in his life, not pointing to one particular instance, everything in his life has been used to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that makes me think, maybe witnessing is not so much about having one story in our back pocket that we use to tell people about who Jesus is. Maybe witnessing is not having a set of talking points to help people realize that they are sinful and they need to change. Maybe witnessing is a daily practice of noticing and pointing to God. I mean, just think about it. Think about it today as you look outside and you see all of those beautiful spring flowers pushing up from the earth. Is that not a sign of God's beauty and creation? Is that not good news to share with someone? Are there not moments throughout our day when we can look around us at our world, at our neighbors, at our community and find an example of God? Is that not worth sharing? I believe that when we can cultivate this practice of noticing God, not only in our lives at present, but even looking back at where God has brought us from and learning how to share those with others, we can cultivate joy in our lives, in our faith communities, and in our world. And when we can see witness as an opportunity to point towards something greater than ourselves, we are reminded of the invitation God has given all of us to be a part of this work, to be a part of evangelism, sharing the good news. And so this morning, I'm wondering, what's your witness? And how can you share it so other people might experience the joy of God.